simple to me as I was looking at Acts 13. I want to share with you. Um, but I'm very mindful that God's been doing this morning. I want to seek to... I think probably primarily what I'm going to share is just going to underline in a very simple way uh, what God's trying to say to us afresh this morning in, in rebuilding faith in our hearts and lives, uh, really for the, the coming weeks. Um, we're looking at Acts 13, uh, and we've just got three verses to look at, verses 1 to 3 of that chapter. Um, if we could flick on the next slide. Uh, as I was, uh, yeah, I, mean, I don't know how many of you are sort of West Wing addicts. I'm a sort of converted West Wing addict, slowly getting my way through. I finally got to the end of Series 5 this holiday. It's taken me an awful long time to get there. Um, but every time I pick it up and watch another episode, you get gripped. And we were on holiday, catching up, to get, bring the end of Series 5, and uh, thinking, yeah, we'll just uh, catch another episode. And you, classically, you get to the end of the episode... Um, and something dramatic happens. I can't leave it there. I've got to watch the next one. And uh, so, yes, you end up going to bed ridiculously late because the next one turns to the next one, and you know one episode becomes three or four. But that's sin confessed apart. Um, this morning's passage is a bit like a sort of well, kind of bit like an episode in West Wing, in that we end on a cliffhanger. Let me just read it to you, and I think you'll see what I'm getting at. In the church at Antioch. There were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius from Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And that's the cliffhanger, because it's kind of, okay, so what happens next? And we're not going to tell you on a Sunday morning because we're ending our series in Acts here this morning. So you've got to go away and read it for yourself, the next 15 chapters of all the exciting things that God now does uh, as a result of sending out Saul and Barnabas. That's my West Wing moment. Let's get down to some more serious stuff uh, with the story this morning. Um, you'll be realised if you've been with us over these many past weeks since, then, when do we start this, January, Easter? Somewhere back in the annals of time this year, we started looking at Acts. And so we've worked our way through 12 chapters of exciting stuff, uh, which have all really been focused around the city of Jerusalem. God building the early church right the way through to the point where, uh, the last time we're looking at this, we see and hear the story of Cornelius. uh, And the gospel comes to the Gentiles. And with that, the focus of the story of Acts shifts from Jerusalem to Antioch, uh, because it's from there that the missional journeys of Paul are based, and there's something that's going on in this whole process, as God is intent on getting the gospel out to uh, not just the immediate Judaistic world, but beyond to uh, the Middle East and to Southern Europe as it spreads. Um, There are three things that I just want to underline from the three verses that we've looked at. Um, We're going to start in in verse 1, in that, simply to say that God knows us. Simple, obvious kind of statement, but actually a truth that I believe profoundly God wants to real underline in our hearts this morning. Why do I say that? Well, because I was looking at this first verse, 
I was struck by just the way in which Luke chose to record this church in Antioch. This young church, uh, not long established, happened as a result of guys from Cyrene going, Jews who were from Cyrene going to Antioch and seeing the church established there. And we've got Barnabas. Well, we know about Barnabas. He's kind of, so he doesn't need any more introduction. Uh, he's been introduced already by Luke. Uh, and we've got Saul, who we've been fairly familiar with as Paul's been, Luke's been writing his account from back in chapter 9. But then we've got Simeon called Niger. Probably his nickname, probably because he got a very dark complexion. Lucius from Cyrene. That identified him as one of the guys who'd come to Antioch to see the church established. And Menaean, who just so happened to have been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, Herod Antipas, who had the joy of chopping John the Baptist's head off. So you kind of think, hmm, three different people here, who each in a different way Luke identifies. And I was just simply struck by the fact that he didn't just recall their names or say something about, I don't know, what their function in the church was specifically. He refers to them in this individualistic way and it just struck me that God wanted to underline that he sees us each individually. Yeah. You know, we're not kind of a kind of corporate bunch of people who have no identity but somehow together we're something. No, first of all we're individuals. We each matter to God. We've got different gifts, different experiences, different backgrounds. But each of us matters. We're known by him. Uh, and we're valued hugely from him. And the whole thing God's been saying to us this morning um, about our, his desire to, to heal, not wanting to send us away hungry, about being the king that hears us, about being the one who is here to do amazing things for us. This is the God that knows us each individually. We had some incredible stories over the last couple of days as you do in gatherings like that in the company of people like Heidi Baker and Bill Johnson who I trust us are not just names I'm throwing out from the front here but are people you've heard of and recognise God has gifted in incredible ways to encourage the church and see the release of the miraculous afresh uh, in the church in these days but there's some very simple stories of God profoundly but simply touching people and demonstrating his individual knowledge care and love of them uh, out of uh, who they were and what he had done for them. God knows us as individuals. But in that, we've got a, each got a story to tell. Richard's reminded us of that this morning. We talked about thinking back on the amazing things God's done on our behalf. And, and I was struck by that particularly for this guy, Menaean, you know, just in brackets. Yeah, he grew up with Herod the Tetrarch. You think, what stories has this guy got to tell of all he's seen in that kind of mixed bag of a royal household with all sorts of depravity and stuff going on, but yet at the same time a household that was responsible for leading a nation. You know, what, what stories has he got? You know, the, the guy he grew up with ends up killing God's servants and he ends up becoming one of God's servants to lead in a local church. A story of real grace and redemption that he must have had We don't know how God broke into his life, how it happened, but he must have had an incredible story to tell. And each of us has got a story to tell where nothing 
that has happened in our lives, I believe God wastes. Yeah, there's something of the sovereignty of God that he will take the, the good bits and the bad bits, the painful bits and the joyful bits, and, and work it redemptively for a bigger and better purpose. Um, one of the, I mean, it struck me, I always, I mean, in my own experience, very kind of undramatically really, but when I came to move from London to Oxfordshire, in London I'd been a, a chemistry, was well established as a chemistry teacher. I'd never taught maths uh, in, in secondary context at all. Had no direct qualification to do so beyond a sort of an A-level maths with that point in the dim and distant past. But I believe God had called us to Oxfordshire and uh, this job as a maths teacher came up and somehow I, you know, God worked it that the, the head decided that despite that I had no qualification to teach maths, I was the person to teach maths in his school and I got the job uh, and spent a few years teaching maths at Matthew Arnold's school up in Cumnock. When we came to start the King's School, I realised why I'd gone this kind of strange route that I hadn't expected, because God just fitted together David Freeman and I when we started the King's School, such that this experience I'd now had as a science teacher and a maths teacher totally complemented the gifting and the qualification David had that enabled us to build a curriculum together and see the school established. You know, what at the time seemed a strange move that just got me to Oxfordshire, God had a bigger purpose in, in, in working in the school in the time to come. And I just want to encourage all of us, you know, that, that may be a very simple illustration, but don't despise the things that God puts into your life that he will actually build and use in time to come. They're part of the story that we have to tell. Uh, bumped into a guy down in, um, up in Birmingham this weekend who was part of the church in Whitney years ago. He had, he's had a real sort of wandering around the kind of wilderness life. To, what am I here for and what's going on? And seeking to serve God all the way along the line. Uh, he's now down in Southampton. and Every bit of the jigsaw of the past kind of comes together that totally suits Mike in what he's doing now down in Southampton. And he has another example of God taking all the bits and pieces, building them together and using them purposefully. Don't... Don't write yourself off and don't lose heart because at this point in time it doesn't all make sense. You have a story that God is building together because he's got a bigger thing to achieve uh, than you'll realise. So that's our our church in Antioch. Uh, Just one other thing I want to comment on in passing before we move on. In the church Antioch there were prophets and teachers and I just felt God kind of nudge me to sort of say yeah let, let, don't gloss over that there was gifting in that church to enable that church to function they recognised those that could teach, they recognised those who were prophets and I just felt kind of a concern that, that we I think can very easily just take for granted the incredible richness of the gifts that God puts among us to enable us to function as a church family together and, and that kind of familiarity breeds contempt thing. is always kind of lurking uh, at the door. And I think for, for particularly with the prophetic, let's, you know, we, we often kind of bring things, maybe since half-hearted, I'm not sure has God spoken, is this right or not? And we're kind of learning to kind of grow in the prophetic. But let's recognize that that's a gift where God is revealing stuff to us to speak to us. It's the word of God coming to us. This is God speaking to us. And let's not 
just, oh, that was a nice word this week. I'll forget it on Monday morning. Let's, let's stir ourselves again to recognize the value of what God's put among us and to take it seriously uh, and not devalue it. So that's our church, a church where God knows us individually. And it's a church into which, verse 2, out of which God calls two people. And he calls them, first of all, the point at which they're engaged in worship. Now, the frustration with these three verses is there's bags of sort of action that happens from them, but very little detail about what was really going on. So what you're getting this morning is kind of what I think, having prayed about it, might have been going on. I'm not saying it's right. I'm trying to give you a way of looking at this passage this morning that is certainly not wrong, but it might not be the definitive thing that really happened. But in, in, in my mind, what you've got here is a church that was pretty serious about its life together. I mean, was it significant that it was actually in worship that God spoke? I'm not about to create a theology that says God only speaks when we're worshipping. That would be to de- diminish the power and uh, love and sovereignty of God to speak to us in all sorts of situations. No, that's not what I'm saying. But there was something about them as a church community, I think, valuing worship, recognising its importance, wanting to be together to to express something that was in their hearts to God, Uh, that it was in that context that God spoke. And they weren't just worshipping, they were also fasting. That lovely thing that involves us going without... Uh, in order that we can tune ourselves better uh, to what God's saying. Fasting doesn't twist God's arm. I think I used to think that somehow. somehow if we fasted, somehow God would take us more seriously and he'd do something because I'm fasting. I've come to realise that fasting's more about what it does in us. It changes us. It focuses our hearts that are so easily distracted as the Bible uncomfortably tells us, are deceitful and wicked above all things. There's something about when we fast, we do actually force ourselves to sort of get rid of the distractions of our own kind of desires, motivations, whatever. And it does make us, I think, more alert to what, who God is and what he's saying to us. But there's also a faith expression involved in fasting, that God responds to. There is something in this dynamic where God responds to us when we fast. We only see certain things change as a result of fasting. Uh, you've probably heard Richard and Kate um, speak many times. of this, the, uh, We hear the stories of what they've seen on the leaves, the people have been born again, the exciting things God's done. Their story would be that at each stage where they've kind of seen uh, another family come to the Lord, another kind of point of breakthrough. It didn't happen without spending time in prayer and fasting first. <coughs> breakthrough comes, it would seem, in certain situations, only a result of us fasting. Just to bring it down to kind of a personal level, the situation when our daughters was going through a few years back, kind of a challenge in something relationally, and we were praying about it, and not much was shifting. And we just really felt challenged. Actually, we need to take this thing seriously and to discipline ourselves to fast and pray regularly for her and the situation. 
And within a matter of weeks of us doing that, the whole thing turned around dramatically. Um, and, and our testimony really is that I think if we hadn't responded to God's challenge to us to fast, things might have worked out very differently for her. Um, as we're looking to move forward into the autumn, uh, I just wonder if there's going to be times when God's not going to actually individually and corporately challenge us afresh about the importance uh, of fasting in order to see breakthrough. We're not going to... Hear me again, you know. This is not somehow about manipulating God, putting his arm over his back to make him do stuff. That's not what it's about. I don't fully understand, I'll be honest, the dynamic of fasting. What I see is that Jesus says, you know, that only comes out by prayer and fasting. That thing only changes. That real blockage only changes when you give yourself to it in fasting. Testimony that aligns with that, of Richard and Kate's, of ours. So I just feel a challenge afresh that as we come into the autumn... We may be willing to get a bit hungry physically in order that we can see something happen uh, in terms of breakthrough, in terms of mission, in terms of our commun- missional communities, uh, getting beyond the points at which maybe they're, they're stuck currently. But this was a church that was giving itself in some way to God through its worship. There was something in their hearts that wanted to engage with God, to express something of the joy that they felt in knowing him. Uh, and in that, God says something that they weren't expecting to hear. Risky getting serious with God. Let's be honest. Uh, there they were. We, I mean, we don't know if this five people that mentioned are the the full extent of the, the leaders in the church in Antioch, but they, they have been marked out by Luke as five people who were, were leaders of that community. And God's about to take two out of the five and leave the church weaker because it's got less leaders? No. Because the church in Antioch continued to thrive and flourish. But at that point, the church had to grapple with the challenge that God was calling them to give up two of their best in order to see what he wanted to do in terms of reaching uh, the, the lost. Um, and let's be honest with ourselves. You know, On the one hand, I think, I trust, there's a seriousness about us, a hunger and a desire to see God do stuff and to see breakthrough. And we want to give ourselves to him. We want to be those that, out of the fullness of our own hearts, are engaged in worshipping him and, and want to meet with him because we know we need God to be the one who's going to do it all. We can't do it ourselves. We know that. We've got to be in, we want to put ourselves in a place where we can encounter God, meet with God, be built up afresh through that meeting with him as we're experiencing this morning, as, as God's moving among us, as his spirit is here, as people are experiencing a fresh touch from God, looking for him to, to break through in healing. But let's recognise as we do that, there are going to be times when God's going to speak and it's going to be challenging. And are we ready to embrace that challenge? Let me just encourage us that when God speaks, it's not to do something that might be, that could be a good idea, let's give it a risk. When God speaks, it's because it's already happened. My exegesis may be dodgy here. 
I'm prepared to have my theology corrected. But I, I'm, I was again struck by the fact that God said, set apart from me Saul and Barnabas for the work I'm calling them to. Now, my translation, which I assume is an accurate translation of the Greek, so I haven't checked the original Greek, says, to which I have called them. And it may be that this whole story is that actually what I'm telling you this morning is, is a different interpretation of what actually the history that was there. But the way I read it was that while they were worshipping, God speaks and says, okay, guys, you weren't expecting this, but I now want Saul and Barnabas to go. But actually it's something I've already called them to. That, on the one hand, could be because Saul and Barnabas knew in their own hearts that God had already spoken, which I suspect may possibly have been the case. But I also read into that, that in God's heart, this is something that is already done. I have called them. This is a past tense statement of God, because it it has, in God's economy, from God's perspective, it has already happened. It's not something I'm sending you out to in the hope that you might achieve it. Um, you know, at that point, I, I sort of want a sudden illustration to drive it home for us, and it, it fails me, forgive me. But, you know, we set out to do so many things, and it seems like a good idea, I'll give it a try, you know. It might work out. No, this is going to happen because something is clear in the purposes and the sovereignty and the economy of God that He has spoken and He has called them. It will happen. And so even when God speaks to us, things that are challenging, uncertain, risky. That's not because, you know, we may not see the answer, but God does because it's already there as far as he's concerned. And we can step out in faith because of that. And so, verse 3, the church responded. Interesting, their church response immediately wasn't whoopee. Off you go then, Saul and Barnabas. It was, okay, this sounds serious. we better fast and pray a bit more. And I, I'm just struck, I think there is real kind of wisdom and responsibility for us. That often when God speaks, yeah, we're, we're taking a step of faith. We think we've heard God here. But you know what? The scriptures do tell us to test the, test the spirit. It's okay to check it out. Lord, we're just going to wait on you a bit more. Are we really hearing you correctly? Let's give ourselves to, just to pray about that, to fast and to check it out. It's not something we don't do. I'm just underlining that it here is for us, exemplified by this church, that they took time to check out and come to a real place of conviction together. Um, out of that conviction together, then they commissioned these guys to go. There's something here, for me, hidden in these verses that is important about how I believe God wants us to operate as a church in mission. Whether that is how we're together seeing ourselves engaged in what we're doing locally, or whether, as was the case here, it's about the going beyond to the nations uh, beyond that are as yet unreached. And that is that it's not an individualistic thing. It's something corporately that is owned and grappled with by the church family. They as a church family checked out and got fasted and prayed. They went through a process were agreeing together, this is what God was saying. And together they laid hands on Saul and Barnabas and sent them out. 
Um, and I, that is something that you know, in, in some way we at times try to model. But I just want to underline the freshness how important that is, that we seek to get a sense of what we're doing locally, that each of us are involved in missional communities of trust. If you're new to us, you need to find out about our missional communities and what they mean, because they're the, the lifeblood, really, of how we're moving forward together as a church. Our gatherings midweek that are engaged in reaching some area or aspect or part of the city uh, together as, as a smaller group of people. Um, but there's something about not just that group doing its thing over there and this group doing its thing over there, but we have a sense together that we sent that group out to do that task and this group to be engaged in that task. That, that, that there's something corporate undergirding what we're doing together here. Yeah. And likewise, when we are set out of Ben and Michelle to go to West Africa um, or at Dave and Susie to, get, to go off to China, it's not, well, God bless you and goodbye. It's no, no. We're, we've agreed at some point in the past of the church, and ongoingly, therefore, we have commitment to them uh, that I'm going to come back to in just a moment. So they send them out. They send them out, commissioning them as a whole group of God's people together, agreeing God's spoken. And let's be honest, when people go, I'm not so much talking about the, the, the working here together, but that sense of people going, the, 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 the Ben and Michels, the, the John and Noms to Paris, whatever it might be, there's a challenge about them going into the unknown, but they're going off an adventure, and there's something about that adventure thing that kind of certainly in the early days motivates and undergirds you. For those of us left behind, there's often pain because there's change in relationship. And some of us don't like that. It's more acute for some of us than others. But we have to be real, I think, in recognising this isn't just, oh, wonderful, off you go, glory, hallelujah, it's great. But actually there is a pain to be grappled within that, which is okay. Um, I'm back? I'm back. It's part of the process uh, that we have to be be ready to, to handle together. So the church sends them out. Um, and two other things about that whole sending out process that actually don't come out of the passage but come out of the story. Um, turn on to the end of chapter 14 and you'll see why. 14 and verse 26. This is the end of Paul's first missionary journey. From Italia they sailed back to Antioch, where they'd been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he'd opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the Gentiles. Two things out of the end of the story that were clearly part of the beginning of the story. The first is that in commissioning and sending them out, there was a complete understanding that this was going to happen only by and through the grace of God. Yeah. Let me read that verse again. Where they, they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they'd now completed. They got a tremendous testimony of what God had done because of his grace. 
but they'd gone out understanding it was only going to happen because of his grace. It wasn't going to happen because somehow they were clever and able to make it all happen themselves. Um, We all know that, but I would, speaking personally, recognise that we don't always live like that. The The theory is that the grace of God is what I need to do everything. The reality is that Keith Elmick does it by himself. Well, it's not always like that because I'm learning a different story and I'm still learning. But let's not just sit in now and say, yeah, yeah, it's right. It's all about the grace of God without recognising that means actually there's a constant challenge to us to play that role of surrender to letting God be God, to be dependent upon his spirit, filling us, enabling us and equipping us in situations that actually we can't handle ourselves. That's not to dismiss the gifting God has given us. That's what he enables us to do through that gifting. But let's keep working at being a people that really are reliant on the grace of God to undergird, underpin, empower and enable all that we do. Uh, Otherwise, we're building our own empires, not his, and it's all going to crumble. So we rely on his grace. And the church laid hands on them seeking to impart that expectation that God was going to act through them, imparting gifts of grace for the journey ahead, something that we seek to do and continue to wholeheartedly believe in. There's something that happens when we lay hands on others and pray for them that's not us. It's about God working through us and imparting something to them of his grace and his enabling and his power. And the, the final thing that was part of this commissioning was that I believe they, they sent them out with a, and come and tell us how you get on. We want, we're not just saying goodbye, good luck, good riddance. We're saying, no, you are part of us. We're releasing you. We're, we're going to pray for you. And when we, you come back, because you're going to come back, we want to hear what God's been doing through you. That's why haphazardly, sometimes inadequately. But we try to give those who we've specifically sent out from beyond us opportunity to come back and give account of what God's been doing. Because it's important that we hear. And I'm not sure we get it right, really, because we ought to be hearing in the sense of what God has done, that we can give thanks to God for his incredible acts of goodness in building his kingdom in other parts of the world. As, as well as here. It's why we seek to keep us informed of what's going on in our mission of communities so that we can be giving account to one another what God's doing and encourage one another and build one another up. So let's not be afraid of requiring that account of one another and let's not be afraid of giving it. Um, that's it. That's Acts 13, 1-3. The God who knows us a God who calls us and a God who commissions us. Just take a couple of minutes just to sort of talk about the, the calling and commissioning thing. Just to make a couple of comments about where um, things are at in terms of our reaching out to nations beyond. Because um, there have been some exciting developments about that over the last couple of years, which I'm not sure we've had a chance to kind of communicate fully from the front to you as a church but you'll 
hopefully be aware that beyond kind of what we're doing in the city here, we've seen people go out of this community into various parts of God's world, from Japan through uh, China, India, and Western, Northern Africa, into Europe over recent years. And we've got people in all of those situations. To go, some going. I'm going to change mics. I think my battery's going slowly, dying, hopefully unlike me. That's looking good, that one. Change mics. Um, and one of the things that are kind of, as we've met together with those and others in sort of like churches over the last uh, year or two, has been a growing sense that actually in that focus, one of the things God wants to do increasingly is increase our focus on going to those nations where the gospel is not yet established, where the gospel has not yet been properly, uh, well, I say not properly preached, not been clearly preached, and there's not church established there yet. Uh, the unreached parts of God's world. Um, and with that, to see teams from across Salt and Light churches gathered together and going together to that end. Um, and you've heard people speaking from the front here about that. Jack and Claire feeling a sense of, of call to um, the Eastern Sahara. Uh, and they're already beginning to gather other from across Salt and Light churches to go to do that. There are folk from our own church here who are trying to work out something in the context uh, of going uh, to North Africa. And, and that is kind of a particular focus that we're looking to, to bring uh, across our churches together as we engage together in, in reaching God's world. Um, should you be somebody that God speaks to specifically uh, about that, that whole thing of going, can I please just again say that this whole thing of I trust you've heard what we are saying this morning about the corporate thing, that whenever God speaks an individual to go, it's in the context, I believe, of the wider body of his family. And that if you're feeling a sense of God stirring something in you about going, you're a part of this church, you see yourself as a member of this church, you're feeling God's sense of stirring you to go somewhere else, please don't have an individualistic mindset that just says, okay, that's what God's calling me to do, I better go and do it then. Please recognize that there's something of the corporate dynamic that has got to be part of that sending process. Please come and share with one of the church leaders what you feel God's calling you to, that we can identify that specific call with you, work through it with you, and play the part that God would have us play together in supporting, equipping, and sending you that we can have an Acts 13 experience. It doesn't always work like that. Uh, and that's a sadness to me. And I think sometimes it's also to the detriment of the people who go, that they don't properly go, properly equipped, supported or whatever. And we're still learning how to do that well. I'm not pretending we've got it all right. But it is important that we understand that we don't carry that thing individualistically, but corporately, because God deals with us in the context of family uh, together. Um, on the other side of the coin, if this whole thing about the nations, God's stirring afresh in you, or there's something in there that's dormant that you've not actually given expression to about being better involved in the supporting and sending process, would you make yourself known to me as well? Because there's more that we need to be doing together to better support those who 
are going into some situations which are particularly challenging and who don't have the benefit of the week-by-week fellowship that we have. And we want to be looking at better ways of supporting them. So I'll be keen to hear from you too. Okay, let's land Acts 13 for all of us this morning. Um, There's something about what God's been saying this morning that I believe he wants to land for all of us this morning. Um, God knows us. God calls us. God commissions us. Every one of us here this morning, I trust, knows God personally, individually, has a relationship with him. That relationship may be feeling a bit more strained this morning. Uh, It may be really vibrant and alive. But I trust all of us knows God individually is the one who has met them, called them to himself, saved them, dealt with the rubbish of the past, and is continuing to deal with that rubbish to turn them into more of the likeness of the person that God has for them to be. God's also called us. There's a specific call that came to Barnabas and Saul. And some of us can waste an awful lot of time struggling to find this call that we think we should have when actually there's a call already on us. We're all all called to be God's sons and daughters, his servants, where we are. I've already said to you this thing about our stories and God working it together. You know, you're in a story with God right now which has purpose where you are right now. It may not be the end of the story. It may not be all that God's got for you. That what God's got for you down the road isn't the whole story. That what's happening now is an important part of that story. Do you recognize the call of God is on you where you are for what you're doing now? The family context you're in, the work context you're in. There were a couple of people I felt, or maybe a couple of situations, maybe more than one individual, just praying about this morning. I just felt God clearly wanted to speak to to encourage I had a picture of individuals working alone in an office saying, what the stuff am I doing here? What's all this about? And God wanting to say, where you are right now, in the broader context of where you are right now, I have called you. You are where I want you right now. There's fresh grace to be found for that situation. I had a picture of a mum trapped at home with young kids, thinking, you know, Ah, what am I doing here? How did I get into this kind of feeling trappedness? And again, God's saying, that's a situation that you are called to right now. There is grace for you in that situation right now. Don't, don't feel trapped in it. Reach out, find those around you who can support you in it because I see you and my heart is for you. All of us, God has called to be his kids, to serve him, to work with him right now, where we are right now, in the different work situations, the different school situations, the different college situations, where we are. Please don't waste where you are right now, waiting for this ethereal call of God that's going to come one day. Whatever God has for you down the road, that he will speak to down the road, Here right now is where you're called to purpose, to function, to action, to fruitfulness. And with that, I believe 
There's a fresh commissioning God wants to give us. And there's something I'd like to do to kind of slightly, I hope not cheesily, I certainly believe God will use it powerfully to express that this morning. And so I want to ask you to stand. And you're going to have to move, some of you. Because what I want you to be able to do is to lay a right hand on the person next to you. All this will require is the person at this end to make sure that the person prior to them is laying hands both ways. So you get a hand laid on you, lay a hand on them. But everybody will have a hand laid on them and they will be laying hands on somebody else. Yes? And if you're not in that position, you may have to move physically to ensure that you are. But it's going to work because I believe God wants to do some this morning. We've, we've had plenty of his encouragement this morning about him being the God that is for us. The God that doesn't want to send us away hungry. I want everybody here this morning to know a fresh sense of God saying to them, I know who you are. I have called you right now where you are to fruitfulness. And I have given you my Holy Spirit to enable you to abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. Holy Spirit, would you come right now as we lay hands on one another, as we have hands laid on us, would you take that, Lord, as a a sign of impartation from heaven that you are acting? Spirit of God, would you come right now, I pray, and touch every life here afresh with a renewed sense of intimate knowledge of you with a renewed sense of call upon their lives with a renewed sense of you are the God that has commissioned them to enable them to do abundantly more than each of us ask or imagine we can do God would you work in us Lord today tomorrow this week this month this year that we would be fruitful people for you empowered by you, enabled by you, secure in the knowledge that you are the God that knows us and the God that is with us. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you do that right now? Would you move among us, Lord? Lord, would you fill us where we're hungry? Would you touch us again and heal us where we're sick? Would you give us boldness where we're timid? Would you give us courage where we're fearful? Would you come? Fill us, Lord. We need you. And Lord, would you send us out afresh in the power of your spirit to live and to work to your praise and glory.